0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to season three, episode two, called "I'm Fine." And we're, today we're talking with Ray Connellan from County Westmeath. Ray was part of a four-part series on the RT player called "I'm Fine."
1: Yes, so the that show followed Ray and Lorcan McMullen, Connor O'Keefe, and Hugh Mulligan, aka Maliki, as they spoke about their struggles with mental health and. Uh, living in Ireland, going through these troubles and our social media manager Sam sent it on to us about a year ago Um, and the show is really powerful, it's only about an hour, it's four parts but it's about an hour in total Um, really suggest anyone there to have a look at it Uh, it's on RT Player Um, I found it brilliant.
0: Yeah I found the show it is a hard watch and I found myself tearing up as I watched it Um, but it is massively important for I think highlighting males mental health and also males that are operating at a quite a high level in society you would say maybe
1: yeah because I suppose that a couple of them played Intercounty kind um, one was an ultramarathon or is ultra marathon runner and He's one's mental yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
0: just, he just doesn't he stop does, yeah yeah
1: serious challenges and then Maliki a musician so um Ray was living in Australia a couple of years ago. He played uh, Aussie Rules for St Kilda and now he plays for Westmeath and his local club Athlone and he would have been a high profile J player being brought up in Ireland so he talks about that a little bit um, and other parts of his life that he went through and I think it's a great conversation so I hope you all enjoy.
0: Enjoy. All right, I'm going to start the conversation today with you, Ray. Um, I see you're wearing a gym and coffee hoodie there, and I see you have a mug in your hand. What are you drinking, and are you a coffee fan?
2: I am a coffee fan. Um, I'm drinking a cup of full circle coffee. Um, So these are the boys. Uh, A couple of my mates set up a a coffee trailer during the summer. And obviously, because I'm still in college, I was looking for something to do during the day. And... Myself and, and Conch Fitzgibbon and Mark Fitzgibbon were supplying the town of Alon with some fine full-circle coffee there for the summer. So it was lovely. It um, was cool. I was, uh, when I, whenever the boys were there, I, I feel like I was going to run the place <laughs> to, <laughs> to sure facilitate the two boys. Yeah. So Yeah, make sure make sure and let the, let the two boys know that. I've,
1: so.
0: I've been to that coffee van, actually. I've, I've been there with Conch and we were drinking yeah. um, another Mullingar coffee there, we were drinking belly In this morning, so I've worked well, with well, guys well, in the past. Is actually one of you is
2: that are in with are you, your partner has the place in mullingar
0: Twenty two ten, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. worked in two. I've worked in twenty two ten, yeah. And mullingar yeah, also yeah, yeah. worked for Bell in. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've been over there two times yeah. Good job. Good man. Um so you wanna go?
1: Yeah. So what we're going to chat about today mainly is the TV show, um, that you were part of, so yourself and four other ads or three other ads, um, yep. which is called I'm fine, which we spoke about in the intro. And firstly, what or how did you end up involved in that TV show?
2: Yeah, I suppose it just, it came about from, um, in the last kind of 12 months, I suppose, me, been more vocal in terms of stuff I've gone through um, with mental health and, and my family and uh, it started out kind of just as a, as a tweet on World Mental Health Day where I just kind of said look if you're if you're in a bad bad spot at the minute this might be just a, a bit of a trigger for you to, to open up to someone um, and from there I did a newspaper article with the Irish Independent and one of my friends from Athlone saw it, um, Michael Fitzpatrick. And he's just a, a bit of a creative genius and a genius with a camera. Um, and through a production company that he works with, uh, with two other mates, they kind of been toying with the idea of, of doing something with, with young men and, and metalheads. Um, so that was, that was the connection. And that's how I, how I got involved, was kind of just through a mate of mine from Owen who was interested in kind of running, running this kind of story
1: yeah, because well, I watched it a few months ago. So Sam O'Neill, who does our marketing actually for Soul Brew, he sent it on to me and said would the four of you would be the ideal guests to have on and have a chat. Mm. So I watched it then, and I rewatched it then in the, in the last week. But it's very powerful, very strong. Like, I like it brought me to tears anyway. Like from watching it, from mm. the words you spoke and the others. Um, and it was. Did you find? I suppose you're putting yourself out there quite vulnerably. Did you find that at the time? Were you nervous or were you more excited? Or how did you feel about doing?
2: Yeah, I think, I think you kind of go through, you you go through kind of everything,
1: uh, kind of pre
2: and post uh, recording. I think kind of pre-recording, like a little bit of apprehension in terms of, you've never done anything like it before. So naturally you're going to be slightly nervous. Uh, During it, like, you know, you're, you're, we arrived at a set in Wicklow, Kite um, Studios, which is where a lot of the filming for for Vikings and stuff like that, the CGI stuff would be filmed in there. So it's a huge, big warehouse. Um, and <laughs> been in front of like, you know, I've done pieces to camera before for football and stuff like that, but this is a proper kind of production. Um, so, you know, there was definitely kind of a bit of bit of excitement in terms of the, the setting and you know, all where you were. And then during it, I suppose, because I know Michael and he was there um, doing a lot of the video stuff, it felt a bit more comfortable, but then it was very open and honest. And I think what you're seeing in the, in the documentary is maybe it's 40 minutes long and it's about 10 minutes per person, but I think all of us would have spoken for nearly three hours that day. Wow. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure there's an awful lot of B-roll stuff and, and, and edits on, on the on the editing room floor, um, that wouldn't have made it in. Um, like least we spoke about kind of pretty much everything um that day. So it, it was strange. I didn't I didn't think I would. And I didn't think it would be that honest, but for some reason once you're there and you feel like you've gone through the effort of, of turning up, you, you kind of just said everything there was to say really. So um that that then was was draining. So it kind of moved from that that excitement to just been I remember driving home and I was I was bollocks I was right mm. on the way home just from you know, So it's, it's a big emotional kind of outpouring really Like so it takes a bit out of you and then leading on from that was I suppose the, once it got picked up by RTE and then the Late Late Show you kind of went oh fuck this is <laughs> this is a big deal yeah. um, you know you're when you're waiting to go on to the Late Late you know you've got a couple of million people probably tuning in to watch it um, that then was a bit daunting um, oh, also exciting like it was like it was fun fun to do it but um i don't think i was really prepared i suppose in terms of the the reaction that was that was the thing that kind of caught me off guard was the impact it had for people that i i don't know and i i'll never meet mm-hmm. um emails text messages instagram whatsapp whatever like just the amount of people that reached out and support um was was mind-blowing um and then i suppose. The, the amount of people reaching out looking for help was was also quite quite daunting um it wasn't something I was I was really prepared for um or had anticipated and learning how to to deal with other people reaching out to you in in kind of a moment of crisis was something that I kind of had to really very quickly learn how to handle um yeah. and for a few weeks it probably kind of got on top of me a bit where I was like am I responsible for people and, and that type of mindset I kind of started to creep in. Um, you know, so that, that was definitely something. And, and they, they were kind of the, the the wave of kind of emotions that you kind of experience as this kind of progress. Um, but all, even though some of them were kind of a bit stress inducing or whatever, it was all positive, I think, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. It was kind of a, a weird kind of stress that you knew it was a good thing. Like it, you, it wasn't so much burdening you, but it was, you knew it was a good thing you'd done and that's why you're you're feeling this way. So it was it was a strange it was a strange kind of journey, but it was I suppose it was enjoyable kind of a very enjoyable experience really, the whole thing.
0: Ray, I wanna pull you back um to the day that you're in that warehouse in Wicklow and you're doing that <clears throat> three hour interview and they're only showing ten minutes. Is there anything, you know, roughly in that ten minutes of of you talking? Is there anything in that three hours that you had wished that they had have got out there or you know, when you look back over it, is there anything profound that you thought that you had said that they didn't include?
2: I don't think I say many things that are profound. <laughs> give <laughs> like you, you give be, yourself you're some. An awful, you're an you will be a long time looking through that video to try and find something profound coming out of me. Oh, um, a good few things, don't worry, we'll pull
1: them out in a few minutes. <laughs> um,
2: no, I think I have to say the boys, uh, Connor, Andy, and, and Mike. um like they absolutely nailed it. Um, they they took out every key thing. Like the, the first edit they sent me, I remember they sent it to me, and obviously a lot of it has to do with my dad and, and what he went through. Um and I remember the first edit, I was like, I, I kinda want you to include more about kind of the things leading up to, to that, like the bereavements and stuff that I went through and like school stresses and stuff, because I felt that it, it almost I felt like I was almost blaming my dad for what was going on by the first edit and straight away the boys came back with a new edit that was just like like just far more kind of accurate to what I had in my head yeah. so I think that ability to, to listen to what we were saying and and put our sometimes it's awful hard to vocalize what you're what's in your head and they were able to get literally exactly what was in my head to translate across so no I, I really don't think like that that just shows like they, they were managed to get Three hours of footage and absolutely nail it down to whatever it was 10 15 minutes per person so <laughs> shows the talent i suppose that, that these guys have for for what they're doing
1: yeah true i suppose it's the talent but also like trying to put them words out there that you did like it's not it's not easy to describe how you feel at the best of times and to relive maybe tougher times like fair play because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff so I might just pick out some random bits that i can out from where you watching uh picked up on. to so one thing you did say about being in sixth year school was quite a, a tough time and a couple of bereavements were they kind of around the same time or was it any specific around that time or just everything
2: yeah i suppose um look the natural stresses of you know been, been 18 like everyone everyone deals with this and i think like spoke about it before we started recording in terms of trying to build resilience to just normal everyday kind of setbacks that people come across um like i didn't have like that ability really to you know compartmentalize things and just accept that some things are shit and you can get over it eventually like so i'd let that build up and uh, school stresses then would have would have built up but then the main thing was i suppose learning to deal with kind of loss and, and people dying um i had three one of my grandparents died when i was very young and then my three remaining grandparents all died within 18 months, two years of one another. Um, and in that time, then one of my good friends uh, passed away in his sleep very suddenly when we were about kind of 15, 16. So there was just, I think the best way I described it was like, I started to feel kind of down. And then the, the amount of time I spent down um, and the amount of time I spent happy just kind of like passed one another out, um, just waved to each other on the way by. And then it was kind of like, I just realized I was gonna kind of spend a lot more time down and because of that, the everyday problems that normally you deal with in your stride we kind of became just much bigger things. Like if you know, if if, if I put myself now in one of those days back then where something went wrong, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I'd notice the thing that went wrong. I'd probably just be like, Oh like whatever my day goes on. Do whatever i want to do for yesterday whereas back then i think when something went wrong i'm like oh my god this is another thing going wrong like how the fuck is this after happening now and it's just one more thing to the list and, and i suppose that self-pity kind of starts to take over and i think that's what i've managed to do in the last few years is build up a bit of a, a tolerance to shit and and you know something happens be upset about it be annoyed about it but mm. it, it's a moment and there's a million other moments for the rest of your day so, so you have to kind of I suppose, move, move on from it as, as best you can and, and in the best way possible without ignoring it at the same time um
0: in the documentary there's um we see you in the water a good bit and it's something that me and steven do quite frequently Is we go into the water every morning um and for us it definitely builds up um Resilience anyway, at least resilience to, to cold water and how that transfers across into life, you know? Is that something yeah. that you include now as part of your like resilience routine or when you're talking about resilience there, you know, what does resilience mean to you? And if there's young men and women or whoever's listening to this, <clears throat> what advice um, would you give to them from your point of view to build up resilience? And I know actually one of the other guys and it um you know he journals and that's something that i started doing this year as well as journaling alongside um the cold water swimming and i find that, mm-hmm. that really helpful as well so what does resilience look like for uh, in a day in the life of yourself
2: yeah i suppose it, it may not even be something you have to do every single day um but it's more for for me now the the cold water thing first answer your your first question uh that is definitely something I've, I've gone to before. but So the reason with the cold water thing was I do, prior this year, I actually didn't do it, just I'm trying to focus a bit more on, on study and, and football. Uh, I've been doing that Aysebury, uh fundraiser for PA House, okay. which is obviously a cold water immersion kind of thing. Um, and that's because I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind, of, I kind of picked something I really didn't like. I was like, if I can do this for a month, and, and that is that is very hard that freeze routine towards the end of the month oh my god i hated every second of it um yeah. so that was kind of just a, i suppose a challenge of just you know what put yourself make yourself uncomfortable and do it and, and that's i suppose a resiliency thing like how, how comfortable can you be with with being uncomfortable yeah, um
1: it is like, and, we, we were in this morning like in... but i kind of <laughs> like it though <laughs> you're like what, why are why you
2: were doing this like what are we yeah, doing? yeah. <laughs> well it is like it, it it's shit but it's it is good. Like I like, you do feel better after. Oh, yeah. like I'll, I'll have cold that. showers and stuff now, and, and I will jump in. I'll jump in after games. I'll go down. And I'll jump in the odd time. But
0: so you're, yeah, say, I, you're saying you don't jump in as much as the video as the documentary does. No, depicts it.
2: <laughs> absolutely not. I would have been at that time. I would have been because you know freeze bread was kind of coming, and or i either just passed. So like you know, I was in every day. Um, when I'm living in Dublin, I'm definitely in a lot more. I go to Sea Point. Um. One of the boys who plays plays rugby there at Leinster, I go with him for, for recovery dips and stuff. So no, I, I definitely do, but at the minute, that's not something I'm I'm doing as a as a resiliency thing. That's something I'm avoiding, to be perfectly honest <laughs> with you. Um but like look that that's grand too, but I suppose and even when you mentioned journaling, that was something I found I did a lot in Australia, um, particularly towards the end of my time there. Um when I found that writing was on the wall for me with my first contract and I wasn't going to get it renewed I, I was looking for new methods of kind of like taking back control of, of situations and I just found journaling was a very good way of unloading the baggage of that day um, and just wrote down I didn't write down anything specific like I kind of just wrote down everything mm. and I, I wrote down how I felt about it in that moment and I've actually still got the journals there inside in my, in my wardrobe and I've read them I've read one of them saying said like it's funny I can remember those moments and what I'm talking about. But watching and reading how I actually felt about them at the time, I'm like, Jesus, I was annoyed about that then. Like, and mm-hmm. it really wasn't that big a deal. Like, looking back as a memory to me now, it's, I was like, no, that wasn't a big deal. But then in that moment, I was like, that really pisses, pissed me off. So it's funny. It gives you it gives you an idea, I suppose, of how the, I suppose the proximity to the time, how, how much more different you can feel. like. And I think that's that's a good kind of, I suppose concept that things are always worse, or, or they're worse or better in that moment. Like it's always more intense
0: mm-hmm.
2: in that moment, and if you can remember that, that can also help your resiliency. And then, like, look, sit on this for a second. Don't have any knee jerk reactions to what's going on right now, because in a week's time, this will be a memory that is past and gone, doesn't exist anymore, and it's probably not that bad. Um. You know that's why I always think like when you hear of youngsters these days and, and suicide in, in young men and women these days, it's just like it breaks your heart because you just know in your heart this was a, a reaction to something, more than likely something that they did in a moment that is just then completely just final. Yeah. Um, which which is which is something I suppose that that can be that can be kind of kind of hard to hard to think about that it just a reaction and a and then a reaction to emotion can just be so, so final. Um, but to get back to your question then about resiliency and what I do these days, um, there, there's, there's nothing there's nothing I'm doing like religiously every day that that I feel like I need to do, that I need to fall back on every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't like to depend on anything majorly because I always feel what if I can't, what if for some reason I can't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that comes from my, my, my sport and background um, and superstitions. I, I'd never be superstitious about that I need to have this, that, or the other in my gear bag because what if for some reason my gear bag gets lost at an away game? Say if you're tricking Australia for flying somewhere. Well, then that's my superstition gone. You need to be able to perform regardless of circumstances. So I don't I don't fall back on anything in particular, but it's, it's more a mindset for me of if something bad happens, how can I be proactive in turning that on its head into a positive situation mm-hmm. um so so for me it's definitely more mindset based in how i deal with things and how i then kind of deliver an output to, to a situation
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense and well just on that on the football thing do you find playing football and doing your gym and all that sort of stuff do you find that's like a almost a way of helping you through the, your daily life like obviously as part of your ritual you train and you train hard like I, I know well I play club I don't play at the level you play at but I know from myself I feel great after training and that sort of stuff do you find, think that's helpful
2: yeah yeah like 100% like I know the two of you boys are, are pretty active as well so like like you know that feeling of the harder the session you always like even though you're, you're in the doldrums and like during it, like you might be thinking fuck oh, this but then you, you come out after and you get this nice rush of like you know you've showered and changed and like your body's almost like it's wrecked but it's like almost thanking you for like jesus that was mm. that was a great session like and like it might be hard to explain and, and to transfer that feeling to someone who, who doesn't you know get kind of i suppose take part in vigorous kind of activity mm. but for me it's, it's definitely a, a, a huge part I, I i know my mood is better in the weeks that i'm training hard um like I've, I've had times where i've taken like tricky over lockdown where you like you take time off and you don't want to go back to the gym because you're going to have doms and you're kind of pushing things off and you're like, oh, like that first leg session, you know you're not going to be able to sit down for three days after like lowering yourself onto the toilet and stuff like that. Like you're going to be absolutely crippled. So like definitely I've had those days when, when I'm not going back and and 100% my mood is is not the same. I'm I'm never as in, in good mood as when I'm, you know, mid season, like trying to like, really like pump up your numbers in the gym and then get your you're running on the, on the pitch up as good as, as you can so certainly when, when i'm training harder it's i'm in better mood and you know kind of too tired to be annoyed about anything so yeah <laughs> the end the
0: the kind of last episode of the show or the last couple of minutes or so seems to wrap up what all, what all you guys sort of do like it's more of a, a positive spin on thing and it shows you in the gym putting on the music and just the other guys writing and and meeting with their friends and talking and um I can't what was, was some of the other ones I think I might have shown a clip of you swimming in that as well. Mm. Have you and the guys ever met up yourselves, the four of you, and talked about the show, or has there been any crossover there?
2: No, we we actually haven't yet. We've, we're still in contact now, and I know one of the guys, Connor O'Keefe, um, we might know he does that flip the script podcast yeah. um which is a great listen as well um he's he's keen to get us all together to actually just have a chat like no more than the way we're talking now just kind of chatting over and back and just have it recorded you know um yeah. which which will should happen soon because he's actually only the only message there maybe a couple of weeks ago about it um i think Lorkin has actually moved abroad though so you might have to dial him in on, okay. on zoom but um no we, we haven't got a chance i think i think after lockdown I suppose Maliki went went touring around the UK and Ireland, so like he's never going to be able to get pinned down really. Um, Connor was flat out training for for ultra marathons again, and then the inter county season kind of kicked up in earnest. And Lorcan was in the All Ireland final with Kilmacud. So I mean, yeah. the four very busy schedules. Four very busy tri- guys there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's four four schedules there that that don't allow for a lot of time to, I suppose all come to the one area because we're not all living in the one place and but but no it's 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 i don't think it's something that we've you know we've neglected in terms of Mm. uh not keeping up like i made a point of getting down to to see one of malachi's gigs in in galway and you know he's watching all the games over over the summer um or sorry over the the christmas um and kind of started tuning in more to i suppose connor's podcast and stuff so i think in our own way, we're all kind of people's tabs and what and what the others are are doing, um, which
1: is it's, yes. I suppose as good as as good as we could do at the minute. Really, it's a great connection to have, but like because obviously there's similarities between us in so many ways, but so many differences as well. I can see, you know, four lads who looking at maybe before you done that. I'm sure many people looked at you and thought, "Ah, oh, this man, you know, playing Aussie rules and playing for Westmeath and." you know that that ah oh, this man has it all going for him and there's no way he'll be struggling but so and i think you could nearly look at four people the four of you and say that or people might say that so it's great to see yeah four guys like that just being so open in the discussion like i think it's class
2: yeah well i think that was just a kind of cool dynamic of the thing i mean say if you're if you're to go off kind of like stereotypes and like people who were friends with each other like like say me me in school, like I'm never going to be the guy that like I was the guy playing sport and stuff. But I was hardly gonna stereotypically be hanging out with a guy who is writing poems mm-hmm. and like paints his nails and dresses as eccentrically as, as Maliki does. And then all of a sudden you come together in an environment where you've got such a common ground and it's like, holy shit, we're two very similar people despite the, the clear differences in terms of our interest. Um I remember it was always it was one thing I, I still do, I listen to like Blind Boys podcast whenever I can. Um, I always find him quite interesting and like, you know, his hot takes are always quite kind of funny and yeah. and, and informative too. But remember he, he always used to kind of describe, you know, he'd be the type of person he was and I suppose an arty and a little bit kind of eccentric, but he always would have almost negative, to, had kind of negative connotations to like the sporty guy in school and how they, they don't fit in with this kind of, mental health thing and, and been open and stuff like that. And he used to always think, geez, you're you're alienating quite a quite a lot of people there. Like yeah. you're you're making the guy who plays sport feel that he can't be be that open person. Um and I always I always feel they're kind of the most vulnerable people. Like you you might expect the guy who writes poetry to to be open and yeah um I suppose to be vocal about his emotions. Whereas like I think you need to create an environment where Power lifter, or the the ultra marathon runner, or the cage fighter, is allowed to just be like, put his hand up and, and, and express how he's feeling. So I remember I remember listening to Blind Boys podcast two times and been like, you know, if I was a different kind of person, I'd be on Twitter like
1: having a go at him like you know, yeah, cause I, I listen, <laughs> call, to... calling them out, like yeah, I listen to him a lot as well. cancel
2: culture. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well not well not we'll not get on them to too much, but I listen to a lot. Oh, I no. find the exact <laughs> the exact same thing, like um. And and obviously we released this podcast, which is quite open and we're discussing our thoughts and feelings and stuff. And I was a wee bit, it's uh, not nervous, was, yeah, slightly nervous about, you know, the lads that I play football with, uh, you know, how they're going to react and that. And you just don't know what way it could go, kind of. And thankfully, and a lot of the lads that came and said, oh, I actually listened, it was great. And geez, you know, said something positive or God, I felt the same or something. And it's kind of lads in the dressing room that I would have never had that conversation with. So when you did this show or started being a bit more outspoken, how was the reaction from your teammates or close friends?
2: Uh,
1: it was it was all
2: it was all positive. Like it was I was surprised more so with the like most of my teammates and all were just like I like fair play, like standard kind of reaction. Um. Some of my some of my best mates then like would have sent a text message like oh, fuck that was that was powerful like that was that was really good or whatever. Um, I, I I tell you what I was I was shocked by the amount of my my dad's friends and my mom's friends so people of that age yeah. who since then um, say for example after a match we might be down in in the pub having a few a few beers and if they got me kind of. To one side they told me about Jesus, I, I, I felt like that. Um so I was I was so surprised at the number of kind of men and women in their in, actually men actually particularly in their in their fifties. Just been like I've never told anyone blah blah blah, but like I watched that the other day and I just felt I had to say something to you about it. Um but yeah, and I was I was very kind of taken aback by that. And I suppose the difficulty you in, in someone a bit older than you. Coming and saying that to you it was always it was always mad, and even like I was in selling tickets for our local long GA. We're doing like a car draw. Just gotta get that plug in there. Athlone GA car draw. <laughs> Put the link up there. That was that was un- unintentional, but it'll it work. <laughs> yeah, I know. We um, I was in selling tickets there the other day for that, and a friend of my my dad's, who I haven't seen for an awful long time. Um, he he was buying tickets, and he and he just said, if you know, in conversation, he was like a fair pay to for what you did at watching the telly. He didn't say that he struggled or anything, but he was, it was just the reaction from that kind of cohort has been surprisingly um I suppose engaged. I, I was I was really kind of taken aback by, by the number of, of people at that age, that age group that that reached out about it and, and spoke to me about it.
0: My dad was dropping me up here last night and he's like, What are you doing tomorrow? And I was like oh, I'm recording a podcast and He's probably similar age of of your own father and and Stephen's father as well, and he's like, "What's all that podcast about?" And what's Instagram about? And he's just that little bit. He's just missed that little loop a bit. Yeah, yeah, but he's um, in the last couple of years, his and my relationship has got much better and much more open, and hmm. and he kind of knows the things that I'm into, and he kind of knows that I'm into this sort of being open about things and talking about things, and and he actually is a very open minded man now that I'm getting to know him better. But I can still imagine, especially on the scale of of how I'm fine went, Ray, like mm-hmm. how was it sitting down with your dad and telling them like, you know, this is what's going to happen. And like I can imagine that would have been a tough conversation to have because I know like it's kind of like a boy's dream to kind of make their dads proud. For a lot of people it is and, and for myself as well. I remember saying it to dad one time when I was really young. I was like, dad, I just want to make you proud, you know but to put yourself on that line and to be that vulnerable with your father figure is not easy. Um, how did that conversation go down or was it a series of conversations with your father that you had um, and, and, in the show, you know, you, he's your person that's in the show and you just have a, quite a close relationship, but I can imagine still not, wasn't a very easy conversation to have at the time.
2: Yeah, I think, I think it was a series of, of conversations um, where, I knew I wanted to, to do the, the I'm fine doc. But I knew I couldn't tell my story and have it be genuine without including his story. Um, so I remember thinking of ways I could avoid talking about him and not bringing his past kind of troubles back up for him again. Um, So I had to kind of think to myself first, like, look, what way do I need to do this? And I was like, if I want to do it, it's going to have to be as honest as possible. There's no point really hiding anything, because I think that would've been lost throughout the piece. I mean, I think it turned into quite a powerful piece with me and my dad. Whereas if, you know, I was talking about like, people dying, there's no tangible person there to see the person who died or whatever. Whereas now you're looking at a, at a, a man who was in his 60s, his mid 60s now, who, who attempted suicide, probably, what was it, 20 odd years, I don't know, 15 odd years ago. So like, it's, when you when you can see the man now, I think it was, it was more powerful to have him there. So I, I just, I spoke to was like, look, how, how do you feel about this? And it I think prior to my difficulties, it was something that after it was done, it never got spoken about in our house. It was taboo. It was, don't acknowledge it. Mm. It's gone now. It happened, but it's done. Um, and then obviously I went through what I went through. And for a couple of years, well, for a few years, it was then my situation was never spoken about even though I've had like my brothers and sisters have all had their moments where they've been kind of down. Probably weren't the best family for, for been open despite what we've been through. Mm. And by the documentary, you probably won't think that. But once my, I opened up, it gave license to the rest of them to do it. And I think my, my honesty probably gave Dad a bit of kind of, a bit of a mindset of like, kind of fuck it. I'll, I'll do the same. Um, it, it, it was a lot more difficult for him to do than it was for me like this is something that like you know he, he very very nearly took himself away from his whole family um, you know like and for him then to put himself on a national scale or a national uh, stage where guys he he was in school with yeah. 30, 40 years ago are then seeing this now um, I just think it, it was definitely more of a more kudos to him than it was to to me in terms of putting himself out there because he's from a generation that doesn't do it um mm-hmm. and to to see him speaking about it whatever want to make your dad proud i think i think he made all of us extremely proud with how he has since been more open about it um it's not something we talk about regularly because it was <laughs> pretty fucking dramatic like um mm-hmm. but it's definitely something that we are able to acknowledge that it happened now it's not ostrich head in the sand stuff anymore it's, it's something yeah look it happened you know you've got the scars there to prove it and it's just kind of we've moved on and we're we're a much better more open happier kind of family now having been more open with it And i, I think you know if god forbid anything has ever happened again with one of us that we we were to go through something again um i think we've we've laid good foundations in terms of Mm. the ability to be to be open which is which is very very important um it's something i wish we had done many years ago because it probably would have avoided a lot of stuff that that came as a result of of, of what had happened but but you you live and you learn you 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 learn from experiences when they happen so
1: yeah it's a bit like one of the, the best in the last episode i'm fine i can't i can't remember which guy said it but he said about Every moment he's gone through has led him to where he is now. Like, so it's kind of like a, as tough as it was and tough to talk about it and tough to get there. Like, it's your relationship sounds great now. And your father, like, yeah, essentially, it's a, he's a fifth person that's part of the show, really, because he's telling his story as well. Yeah. That's like through you and that. So, like, I thought that was um, really powerful as well to have that relationship. Yeah, and that, that kind of touches,
2: I suppose, on what I said about, you know, um, with nothing ever been like you know as intense in, in the moment and in a week's time it'll be a memory that is, has that is passed like it's it's funny i oh, kind of lost my train of thought a little bit there um right. but sorry you, you you were saying you said about uh could you could just say that say that again there about, just
1: the, the, he was saying about how every moment you've lived through has his to where you are now and he was you know who he is now is- is he was happy with the other guy in the show, and just how that? I suppose you were saying about it could have helped a lot of things if you had spoken yeah. earlier. But having spoken now, it's led to the show and helping so many other people. And the two of your relationship seems quite quite good at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry,
2: with the just with kind of that resiliency and and moments and how how they'll pass and move on. Like, you think the moment is bad when you're in it, and then you come out of it the far side. In a few years' time, these moments might shape kind of the person you are and how how you react to things. And you never know when that adversity that you dealt with a couple of years ago is going to benefit you in a few years' time. Yeah. Sorry, I kinda of lost my train of thought there for a second. But yeah, yeah that's that, I think that's that's just something that's that's quite important. That like things things can be bad in that moment and you might wonder why it's why it's happening to you. But by sticking through it and, and coming out the far side. And then no matter how long that goes on for, like, because it, it could be it could be years before people really kind of get over get over things. Um, but I think then you you'll soon find that there was a reason for for all of that kind of happening, and something will happen to you in years time, or someone else might need you in a few years time. And I think that's definitely something that that I've noticed has happened with with my situation. I remember being in college um, in Galway before I went to Australia, someone I was quite close to there was going through what I had been through only two years before. Um, and there was a massive kind of part of me felt that being this person I actually met like for a reason. And um, I I'll sort of get into the details of their, their situation because that's, I suppose, their story. Mm-hmm. Um they had probably met me at, at a time when they kind of really needed it because they needed someone who had, who had been through it. Mm-hmm. and. I think it, I just thought it was kind of funny that, that this was the way it, my situation was then helping someone else. I think that was the first time I realized that by sharing and, and, and being open, that you can you can save someone's life, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, and you definitely did that, I think. But from the signs of all the response you got in that, uh, I'm conscious of time. And Aidan, do you have any sort of last things you want to get in there? Um so you're 27 or 28 now Raise
0: it
2: 27 27
0: yeah. where are you today versus where you are and you know what is the next couple of years but part the three-part question where are you now today to where you were what's next for you and you know if you were to wrap this up what would you what would you like what message would you like to get across to people that's a three-part question there okay (laughs) quick fire Um,
2: right no i think today um i'm a pretty like easy going content fella i i'm i'm relaxed you know probably to a fault at times um which is definitely not what i could say back then um massively just like family oriented. i think our family in the last few years has grown um we've all got partners now um long-term partners that i think we all want to spend our lives with and we've got a new the first grandchild has come into the house um which is just amazing she is she's my goddaughter. she's she's incredible so mm. it's funny like i just always think of like it, talking about it again and, and reactionary things like God had I done something back then the, the things I would have missed out on now mm. is is not even I, I couldn't I couldn't fathom it I couldn't understand it as an 18 year old the the love you can have for people like your, your partner or or a new child into the house mm. like you can't you can't tell that to an 18 year old unless they've experienced it you know Um, so if you told me back then that this is where I will, intense I was going to be you know I'd I wouldn't have believed you um so I suppose that's that's the the stark difference you that's what I meant it ties in with I suppose the, the two other parts of your question I mean the person I was at, at 18 and the person I am at, at 27 like nearly 10 years later is it's so contrasting it's it's scary I always feel that if you're 18 and you're in the dumps and you make a decision to to commit suicide and and you you go through with it you're in essence killing two people in that one act Mm. you're taking the life of that person who's struggling in the moment as a young kid but you're also taking the life and the opportunities of the adult and the happy person that you could become because they're not two in the same they're not remotely the same person in my opinion I think if if you're to look at who you are at 80 and who you are now I'm sure oh, yeah. they're not mirror images of one another and I always think that it's such a horrible way for youngsters to end things because you you are essentially taking away two lives which is, is something that I think is just a, is a real shame and yeah I think I think that's kind of I suppose where i am now and, and how i see myself and that would be kind of one message that i i feel that, is pretty important to to get across to youngsters
1: yes trying to get that message across like so that's the kind of work i'm looking to get into in the near future like kind of youth work and um health and well-being of i suppose specifically that age group of late teens to college age kind of stuff and it's you know, trying to get that message, it's very hard to tell someone that on oh no, our ten years' time it's gonna be great like because 'cause ten years it ten might not years be great, great, but you'll be a very brilliant. different person <laughs> but you're, yeah. you're better able to deal with things maybe and you're in a, just a very different place yeah, so I think that's um yeah uh, something that's no one's really figured out yet the best way of doing it or approaching it, but I think hopefully yes uh, there's a lot more being done on it anyway and hopefully the future generations will you know, have the likes of yourself to kind of look at as inspiration and other people like that So, um I suppose there's, there's not much more to to ask you really. I think I'm conscious of the time. There's loads to, more to ask. I think yeah. it's more the, the fact that we don't have the time to ask it. Um, Do you have any questions or any no, go, remarks?
2: No, not really, not really. Just, I think, I think we've covered kind of like, just through, through our chat there. Like I think it's a, it's a perfect example really of kind of like, no, we're, we're three guys, I've never met both of you like properly mm. formally and yet we're able to come on and have a conversation about you know personal issues and you know we come out of it feeling kind of better and it just I think I think it just shows that it can be an easy thing to do mm. it, I think initially it's it's very difficult but once you've done it once and once you've kind of opened that door to yourself like I remember the first time I talked to people about this it was like mumbling stumbling over my words like i was afraid to say the word suicide i'd always be like you know if, oh, i feel like i want to you know like uh, and, and you find ways around saying it whereas now i can i can speak about it openly and, and the terms i can use and it's just you know in a way it's kind of water off a ducks back but it's also a bit therapeutic to to share it so like yeah. i think that's something just that i'd be pushing on people is that like two, two things one is, is to have that resiliency that bad things happen to you is, that's fine. You need to realize is it a major issue? And like in a few weeks' time, am I going to be kind of better from this? And not to just cave in and let everything get on top of you again because no more than anything, you have to work hard to get out of bad situations. So don't just mm-hmm. don't just fall under the weight build up that resiliency and be tough on yourself sometimes that you know, okay, that's a bad thing that happened. Fuck it. I'm gonna attack this now in the best way I possibly can and build up that resiliency. Yeah. Um, which is something that is kind of, as I said to you before we started recording, I think youngsters these days sometimes need to be like, I'm not depressed, i just had a bad couple of weeks. Do you know? Yeah. Don't be too quick to put a label on it and diagnose yourself with depression or something because
1: <laughs>
2: if you're, when you really have it then, you're going to be in a bad way.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then also just be be as open as you, as you possibly can with people. Um, no one's ever got better by, by staying quiet and certainly from my personal experience with with depression um that that's been the main thing that's helped me has been open and also then realize that you need to look for the right help um the number of people have reached out to me i'd always try and refer them on to someone who really knows what they're talking about because everything i know is just anecdotal and and personal experiences what works for me doesn't work for anyone else and like you never know the the thing you're you're struggling with could be something that needs to be diagnosed like you might have bipolar you might have something that you know just being open about doesn't help. You need medication. You need something to help you through. So, mm. you know, build up that resiliency. Be open with, with your loved one. And then also seek the seek the right help rather than just, you know, sending the likes of myself or someone I, I, an Instagram message. Go to someone who can really clinically help you rather than just tell you about their story.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to end it because that's something we say with our podcast. Well, obviously we're talking about um, heavy issues at times. So it's, and we'll put that in the link um in the description of the podcast where to go for help if anyone's listening and feels the need for it um but yeah. obviously as well people that that are looking for that little bit more anecdotal chat they can reach out to us and mm. uh, maybe yourself will tag in instagram anyway and, and stuff like that but just to say thank you very much ray yeah. that was very very good
0: thanks for being so open and um yeah really enjoyed talking to you today yeah cheers boy. thanks very
1: much good chat Thank you all for listening, and again, thank you Ray so much for your time. Uh, I thought that was brilliant, um, and I really advise anyone out there to check out "I'm Fine" on the RT player.
0: Yeah, um, as the show finishes, it plays it plays music from Hugh Mulligan, aka Malaki, and we've both been listening to him ever since. It's, it's really cool to hear um, an Irish rapper. Actually, it's mm-hmm. quite different. Uh, so we thought it'd be nice to finish off our podcast with some music, as it is in the show. So, um, and we're also hoping to have Maliki on the show at some point in the future.
1: Yeah. So thanks to Hugh for letting us use the music, and again thanks to Ray. And enjoy. Big smoke
0: rises in the distance. Conquer jungle with a smile. This is our existence. Cup of tea, stay a while. Choose hardship over the path of least resistance. Heart sick, leaving time with persistence, I'm perceiving others leaving. For the streets, hearts heaving, can't sleep, but How could you mother's kids teething at your feet? New Reeboks complete the style. Meanwhile, his state of mind is futile. Cattle's ball, come on and stay a while. Cattle's ball, come on and stay a while. See the city, gave him character, no pity from the barrister. Today's end, but hopefully not alone. His best friend, old pair, revere phone. See the loser winner, accompanied by the music, new perspective, reflective mood. Sometimes ejected, but winners lose. There's problems to his business Watch him down with a point of Guinness Watch him let go Tommy rumbles Only enough for a Freddo He had dreams of a mop And got a butterfly But butterflies die What's the story, not the plot What's the love solidify He's just living for a laugh Couple tales and homosexuals are looking for a guy. And the day they
1: change All oh, no. of the days and changes Yes, they go too fast Old faces and places Through
0: the hourglass And the chances Romances in a distant land
2: Where